0: episode 13 of the Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik. I am your host. I have all the gear and no idea. And alongside me, as they are every week, is the MacArthur Martyr herself, Sam Lewis, the winner of a Lika Martins lookalike contest, Anna Harrington. And from the makers of Anna Margarita Marina astrid Medema comes Angela, two middle names, Christian Wilkes. <laughs> I've been working on that one for a while. Anyway, <laughs> <no problem. laughs> let's let's talk women's football because that's what we're here to do. So we'll get started with our usual opening segment. You you love to see it. Anna, what did you love to see this week?
1: Can't get past that intro, Marissa. <laughs> Extraordinary Thank content. You. I think. No, it's it's totally sincere. It's totally sincere. You'd love to see it for you. Um, Yeah, you love to see it. Um, We don't normally like to pump up the USWNT too often on this podcast because we're Australian, but there's only so much international football about on the weekend, and two of the moments that I love to see this week came from the US's win over the Netherlands, which is just extraordinary given they've just not been together for months and Netherlands have been playing Euro qualifiers and they just came out and beat 2-0, um, which, as you do. But the first was we love Rose Lavelle on this podcast. We talk about how Man City need to use her well, use her, in fact, like the US WNT do, and for their opening goal um, against the Netherlands, she just did Rose Lavelle things. She helped pressure um, the Netherlands forwards to get the ball back and then just absolutely blitzed it down the other end to get on the ball and then just turn Dominique Jensen inside out and just absolutely unleash this scorching shot that must have conjured up those memories or not so good memories for the Netherlands of that World Cup final and I think just reminded everyone how good she is. Rose Lavelle scoring, you love to see it. Second goal, I think, was an even better story. Um, Christy Mewis hadn't had a US cap in six years. And she scored her second goal, I think it came seven years, almost seven years apart. Uh, great little flick on from Lynn Williams. Mewis gets onto the ball and just puts it away re- really coolly. And the best thing was um, her younger sister, Sam Mewis, pod favourite, was there to congratulate her straight, a- straight away. So, yeah, really wholesome moment with the Mewis sisters. You love to see it.
0: You absolutely do love to see sisters doing it for themselves. Samantha, what did you love to see this weekend?
2: So what I love to see this weekend, bringing it back to our shores, Anna Harrington, uh, was the Queensland Women's MPL Grand Final, which was won by Lions FC. In fact, Lions FC did the double, the men's and the women's grand final. And uh, Football Queensland ensured that there was a huge song and dance made about it. It was all live streamed. It was commentated. It was a really fantastic event. And I particularly loved to see uh, some of the goal scorers for Lions FC. They came out 4-0 winners over Logan Lightning at Perry Park. Uh, one of the goals was scored by Brisbane Raw's newest recruit, Mariel Hircher, who uh, took out the MPL's Golden Boot Award this season. And two of the other goals were scored by Chelsea Blissett, who... Uh, has just recently re-signed with Me- uh, Melbourne City. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a great game, a great event. Uh, football Queensland are doing a really good job. Their announcements about competitions and things over the last couple of weeks have been really exciting. So, yeah, you know, women's football just being great. You love to see it. Local, you love
0: to see it. And, Angela, what did you love to see this weekend?
3: This week, um, I did love to see the relatable content of Sam Kerr doing a stint in goals at training for Chelsea. Um, Relatable because, you know, if you've ever played social futsal, you know, there's that time where you're like, okay, all right, I'll do it. And for me, it's nice to just think if Sam Kerr can do it, I can do it. I know those things are not the same. And that logic does not hold up, but yeah, it was just some really joyful content on on the timeline. So yeah, I I love to see that. I think you had something to say about that, Anna. I was going to
1: say, don't you mean you love to see it? But um. Oh, we're in fine form this evening.
0: Anyway, you absolutely do love to see it. Another thing you love to see is the Champions League draw. We have the round of thirty-two getting underway next week, which is super exciting. We've got a fair few Aussies involved, probably more than you expect. So I suppose the the Matildas that will be looking out for are Ellie Carpenter and the current uh, Champions League title winners. Leon will be taking on Juventus, which is going to be a tasty clash. We've got Sam Kerr's Chelsea up against Benfica of Portugal. And then PSV, who have uh, Kaya Simon and Amy Harrison, will be taking on Barcelona. So those are your big Matildas. We've also got other Aussies involved. So we've got Alex Chidiak and Atletico Madrid taking on a Swiss side. We've got Carly Rossbackens, LSK, the Norwegian side, coming up against FC Minsk. We've got uh, Indy Riley. We're claiming her once again. Fortuna Göring will be taking on a Slovenian side. And Aoife uh, Colville's Glasgow City will be taking on Sparta Prague. So they're interesting. And then I suppose the nichest of the lot is uh, Vesna Milivojevic, will be playing for uh, Spartak Subotica against Wolfsburg. So you may recognise the name. She was at Wanderers in the W League last season, so it will be interesting to see her there. Guys, what what, uh, ties are tickling your fancy?
2: First of all, Marissa, incredibly impressive pronunciation Mm. of those names there. I am actually looking forward to the the, the latter game, uh, Spartak versus Wolfsburg. I've been... Uh, following Vesna Milivojevic for a couple of seasons now. She absolutely tore it up in the New South Wales Women's NPL two seasons ago before she joined the Wanderers. She won the league's uh, Player of the Year award. She was only, I think, 17 at the time. Uh, She's an incredibly gifted attacking midfielder. She has a vision for days. She scores goals. She assists. Uh, But she never really got off the ground at the Wanderers and I think part of the reason for that is because they didn't play the kind of style that she really flourishes in. So I've actually interviewed Vesna recently and she is loving her time in Serbia. They play a very technical sort of style of football that she really enjoys. Um, particularly based on, on the fact that she comes from quite a heavy futsal background. So she's really good with the ball at her feet. She's really comfortable with that sort of style and that sort of culture of football as well. So I know that this is a, like the, the David and Goliath clash, basically, uh, of, of the round of 32. Coming up against Wolfsburg, they finished, uh, you know, it, they, they got to the final last season. They lost to Lyon, but it was a really impressive run on the way there. Um, it'd be interesting to see how Wolfsburg go now without Peniel Harder. She played a really important role for them in their run last year, last season as well. But I'm just really keen to see another Aussie getting some serious minutes against some serious opposition um, in the same way that I loved watching Eva Colville play for Glasgow last, last season in the round of 16. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Vesta play against Wolfsburg. It's going to be a really uh, exciting moment for her. It'll be an exciting moment for her family and for everybody who's been watching her in the NPL and the W League the last two years as well.
3: Angela, what's taking your fancy? Uh, I reckon if I'm going to wake up for any of these games, it will it's an obvious one, isn't it? The Juventus-Leon uh, game. I'm just keen to – I know that um, these games are available to me to watch every week, but I've only got so much time in the day. But I think with Champions League, it's something I'm going to prioritise and I'm really excited to watch a full game of Ellie Carpenter doing her thing.
0: Absolutely, especially since she didn't get on the pitch in the back half of last season's Champions League. And Harrow, what, what do you like the look of?
1: Yeah, I was going to say like that. Ellie Carpenter is going to actually make her Champions League debut. That Sam Kerr as well against Benfica. But the game that I really like the look of is the PSV Eindhoven v Barcelona one. Um, I think Kai Simon, she may have picked up an injury recently, but it was going quite well for Eindhoven. And Amy Harrison was starting pretty regularly. But I feel like you don't get a real feel for how good the Dutch teams are based on their league. So I think it'd be good to really get an idea of how they'll go against a quality team. And Barcelona tend to rock up in the Champions League. So that's something that really excites me is getting a look at those players, Um, Harrison and Simon, who we probably don't talk about as much because we don't see them in the FAWSL every week, just seeing how they go, um, and hopefully they can take it up to them. Will that be Absolutely. a Jenny,
3: Jenny Hermoso-Amy uh, Harrison matchup,
1: maybe? Perhaps. I don't Potentially. It'll um, be a pretty exciting one. Um, I really liked Harrison's last W League season as well, and she got her be into the Matildas. I know she was involved in the World Cup squad, but um, that really good W League season was so encouraging, and I'd love to see her really kick on and just the chance to actually watch these players go up against opposition that you know is quality and you know offers something a bit different you've got alternating styles that's something that really excites me Um, that said I'd, I'd take Sam Kirk scoring in the Champions League as well so yeah no shortage of good games there.
0: Absolutely so we were in international break so that's kind of the most match chat you're going to get out of us this week so I suppose speaking of European players and a player who is in Champions League contention, we've got Alex Chidiak at Atletico, and I said to you guys, when it comes to these players making their European moves, at what stage does that move to a big club like Atletico become counterproductive? So it's the, the argument of is a big, club, a big club better or a match minutes better so we've we've saved it for the pod so now's your time to have at it hara i know you had a thought
1: yeah i think match minutes for a player especially like alex chidiak who's so young match minutes are everything um i think her move unfortunately has turned out to be a bit of an example of what can happen when i guess things don't go right with a big move um she got some game time initially i think won the league and then felt like with being a young player and some really classy players ahead of her, sort of fell into, I guess, just being a squad player, then had a really, really nasty ankle injury that's taken her a long time to get over. Um, I spoke to her a few months back when she came um, back to Melbourne, actually, in lockdown. And basically, I think it, it wasn't necessarily diagnosed or as treated as well as it could have been, um, just didn't get right. And the rehab process was really long. And since she's gone back, I guess she's only really got a few minutes here and there, maybe even only once or twice in spurts. And it's, I guess, it must be so frustrating for her because she obviously missed out on the World Cup because she just didn't have the games. Whereas if she was playing for the in the W League or playing in the Netherlands or even playing for a smaller Spanish or other European club, she'd be playing regularly every week. She'd be getting minutes. She'd be getting experience. She'd be testing out her game in in different areas. Because at the moment. Her only real exposed form is a few w- Matildas games and a W League form from two, three years ago with with Adelaide and then a bit with Melbourne City before that. Really, so yeah, it's for an example like that. Um, unfortunately, it's not worked out. So with between the injury, we've not got a real idea of what her development could have been like. But I think it's pretty clear it's not really worked out for Alex Chidiac. So hopefully, hopefully we can see her get a move um, when her contract there finishes up. I think this is the last season on her deal. Um, Because she is such a talented player and she is such an exciting player and I think has heaps to offer in terms of creativity going forward. So still very young, but yeah, in a nutshell, Marissa, um, I think it's proved not to be, uh, I guess, the move that maybe everyone was hoping it could be.
2: Yeah, I agree, Harrow. Um, That's a really good point. And I think that this is a conversation that we're probably going to return to with other players in the future. And I'm thinking specifically at the moment about Sam Kerr. Uh, I know that when she moved to Chelsea, she probably expected to be in this kind of position where she's not playing every week. She's really being challenged for starting spots and things. But, you know, even in a training environment like that, how how good is that versus the, the, the kind of competition that you need actually on the field and the match minutes and the fitness that comes with playing regularly as a starter in a competition like that? Um, I do think there are moments where, you start to wonder whether she couldn't be um, playing more regularly and perhaps improving to uh, to a different extent if she was at another club that was really built around her. Because she is the kind of player around which a team needs to be built. She has the kinds of qualities that you know sort of necessitates that in terms of their systems. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, like I, I I feel sort of sad when I think about Alex Chidiak and when I. Talk about her with people because it's just like oh, like she's still on the bench, you know she's still injured. Don't know. She's just sort of she's just sort of faded away, you know, out of our field of vision, which is really disappointing because she was so good when she was coming through the ranks in the W League. She had so many great moments for Adelaide when she was playing there, um, and she's fallen off the Matildas' radar as a result of that. So yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting and it's an important conversation to be having about whether actually these big moves for all the song and dance we make about players moving to Europe and whatever, if they're not actually doing anything there, if they're not actually playing any games there, what's the point?
1: Yeah, Sam, I agree with that, especially in regards to Chidiak. You hope that, um, I guess going forward, some of these players that go to a big club, I think another example is maybe an Emily Gilnick at Bayern Munich, that they sign if they sign a two or three-year deal, Gilnick's was only one year, but Chidiak was a three-year deal, I think, that they have – like I don't know if it's contingencies or room to get loan moves because I think that's a really important thing. Being at, Making a move to a big club can be fantastic and Judiak in that first year I think got some great experiences out of it. Um, but if you're not getting the game time, you need to be able to go somewhere else to get it. And, um, yeah, for me that's the thing. This, Sam Kerwin's going to be so interesting because I think Chelsea did want to build the team around her. Like I think she was the big signing. Like we remember the talk and the hype when she signed. Um But the thing with Chelsea is they've got so many resources and so many good players. And Beth England obviously exploded to another level as well and then they've brought in harder. It's going to be so interesting to see whether she does work through it or um, if there is a move in the future. But, yeah, I think it is definitely something to keep an eye on going forward as more of our players look to go to Europe and look to um, make these big moves, how careful they are. Because, I mean... Amy Harrison is well, a similar age to Alex Chidiak and she's playing just about every week in the Netherlands and that's the sort of thing you'd like to see. Or India Page-Riley even in Denmark and you've got players playing every week or even the ones that have come back to the W League because that's, that's what you need at the end of the day. It's very hard to contend for spots if you're not playing.
0: Mentioning uh, the W League there, we, we need to transition to dub chat because we have a draw. It's, it's, beginning to, it's beginning to feel a lot like Dubness married dubmas one and all so we have the draw now it's not full home in a way but I suppose we'll probably get into that eventually um likes dislikes what did we like about it what did we not like about it Angela what are your thoughts feelings opinions here
3: so I like that Canberra are hogging the Sunday games that will be broadcast on ABC, but also part of me is like, how good is that in the broader scheme of things when they are sort of leaning more towards those probably, um, I don't know how to describe, not like bottom of the table teams, but teams who aren't like. Sydney or Melbourne-based mm. teams. Um, that has I have noticed that in the past when people have commented on the quality of the matches that are going to free-to-air, if that could be perhaps used a little bit better to promote the league, if that is the match that we're going to see once a week um, that everyone will have access to. So yeah, that was an interesting thing for me that I picked up on. To be honest, I was looking at it for a little while and they all just became like names and numbers and merging into each other but I'm sure um, yeah Anna and Sam have things to add in terms of I I mean to be honest my list is probably a list of gripes I don't have a whole bunch of positive things to say as well especially as a victory fan Um, and them not having a home ground yet and them starting away and then having to buy and then going away again but yeah I got it out of my system that's that's my that's my thoughts and onions in one long stream.
1: Um, I'll kick off with a positive first. Um, I quite like the idea and when I was frantically attempting to file my thoughts on fixtures, which is not my strong point, um, fixtures, yes, uh, when it came out. But there's eight games in the space of eight days between the 27th and uh, the third. There's just a one day off, which is New Year's Eve. For those of us that enjoy Dub at the Pub or Dub at the Ground or wherever you may consume your dub, um, I thought that's great, good way to kick the competition off. Lots of football, school holidays, like for mine, just rip through a bunch of games. I think that's great fun. I would have to agree with Angela in regards to, I actually pointed this out in my story as well, and Sam will go into some more detail as well, how many teams just don't have a consistent home venue. Melbourne Victory is the classic example. Um, Sydney FC and the Wanderers also changed between three venues. Um, Victory one in particular is quite difficult because you've got Lakeside Stadium, which for mine should be the go-to home venue for Victory unless they're going and playing a doubleheader. You have uh, Epping. You have one game in Morwell, which is a really non-family friendly time of 6pm on a Sunday, meaning if as we were saying in our chat before the pod, if you go out there with your family, you're not getting home before 10, 10.30 at night, and that's being optimistic on a Sunday. Um, I just don't think it's great in terms of, one, building an audience consistently, consistent crowds and people having familiarity with where you play, but also just for the players. I don't think you get a proper home ground advantage by consistently moving all over the place. Like, I just It really doesn't appeal to me in terms of both as a fan, um, as someone who covers the game or in terms of, you know, tactically trying to get a view on how teams use their home ground advantage. And, yeah, Sam, you can probably talk to this a little bit in terms of Sydney FC because they are a genuine travelling roadshow this upcoming season.
2: Yeah, they are. And it's it's something that um, I think is becoming more and more of a problem. Um, I mean, Sydney have always had a very good squad. They, they're historically one of the best teams. They've never finished outside the top four but when it comes to actually trying to capitalise on how good they are and the kinds of players that they have, I don't think doing it in the way that they're doing it is is the right way. Um, they're going to be playing at five different home grounds this season. There's going to be Lightheart, Jubilee Oval, Chroma Park in Manly, ANZ Stadium and Wollongong. Mm. You know, when it comes to talking about Sydney FC generally as a club, the fact that there is they cover this broad stretch of uh, turf is actually not a good thing because you, you really want to be honing in on a community that you represent and tapping into the, the absolute depth that that community offers. It's the problem of, like, going too broad and not going too deep and I feel like that's one of the the big issues that the W League in particular is facing when it comes to these sorts of decisions. Um and and when you think about as well the kinds of of communities that Sydney FC are going to be visiting in the W League this season, there are some that are huge women's football places like Manly, you know, the north of Sydney, it's always traditionally been a very, you know, supportive kind of area for the women's game. Uh, but other 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 places like ANZ like I I understand that they're double headers but like it's not gonna, you know, that's not a pl- and what, like I've got thoughts about Wollongong as well. I've got thoughts about Jubilee, anyway. But I, I think that there are some some good things to the draw as well. I like that we have uh, twelve Thursday night football matches. Mm, uh, there's absolutely. one every round, which is going to be great. All of them are going to be broadcast somewhere at some stage um i also like a couple of sort of little uh bits and pieces about some of the grounds as well like adelaide are going to be playing uh their first standalone game at cooper's stadium for a couple of seasons uh western sydney are going to be playing a game at their academy like their new uh their new training base out in blacktown that'll be really fun i like that canberra even though canberra can't play at McKellar park and McKellar park is, tends to be one of the best grounds in the league. I like that they're moving to Viking Park in Tuggeranong. I feel like that could be a, a you know a, a pretty interesting thing. Um, but again, I, I you know when it comes to sort of the balance of the pros and cons, I've written about this before. But the fact that there are over twenty games which are scheduled before five pm uh, in the height of summer is is a problem. Um, it's going to be a problem when it happens. There are going to be reschedules if it's anything like last season. Mm. Uh, there are going to be a lot of uh, issues that are caused by the the heat. Um, two of Adelaide's games kick off at 3.30 in the afternoon. There's no way that those are going to be played if we have the kind of summer that we had last year. So that's, yeah, I mean we're, it just feels like we're talking about the same problems over and over again when it comes to this sort of stuff. So, yeah.
1: And Sam, like we were talking about this before we started recording, like for one you have the heat issues, which – It gets talked about so much with the A-League when people are babbling on about moving to winter, the standard of play. People love ripping women's football for the standard of play. I don't know how many people have tried running around for 90 minutes in 30-plus degree heat. If it's humid, it's the heat of the day. It's not great in terms of spectacle. Um, It's not great in terms of attracting crowds Um, or TV audiences, I would have honestly thought, because you want to be at the beach, you want to be catching up with mates. If you're, you know, a casual women's football fan, um, I think the late night games are so much better, and I agree. That's why the the Thursday night football is such a great thing. Um, allows you to, you know, it's a bit of a routine for women's football fans now to to go and dub at the pub or dub at home, and I think that's just fantastic. But yeah, I think we can just do better than the um, the afternoon kickoffs. One thing I do like is the fact that the season looks like at this stage it's going to be relatively unaffected by border restrictions and the like, Um, Perth glory kick off their season at home against Canberra and then they travel to Brisbane for round two. They get to play the games at Dorian Gardens, which is fantastic given a few weeks ago we were querying, will Perth be involved at all, what's what's things going to look like. So great that it looks like we've got some normality there. And I also did like that for two teams that probably weren't in the mix last year, that Canberra and Perth do have consistent home grounds throughout because I think that's great in terms of building sport. I think Perth have played at Dorian Gardens a lot anyway um recently but to have a couple of teams that are pretty consistent and I think Brisbane are relatively consistent between Lions and a couple of dolphin as well. So no, I think that's really important. But yeah, again, not huge on the on the Arvo kickoffs and uh would prefer to see them later on wherever possible.
3: Also I did not realise that the My Football app is still a thing. <laughs> the draw just reminded me of that. I'm like, that hasn't died yet. <laughs> I have, I don't know anyone who uses that anymore now that there's KO. It's incredible. Anyway.
1: A uh, little point to note is that Melbourne City still haven't listed their official home venue bar when they play a doubleheader at Amy Park. I think they are trying to get one venue consistently for the W League team. So I'm sure we'll, we'll learn that in due course. But if you're wondering why there's a little gap on your fixtures, they do not have one. I guess, officially locked in as yet, but I'm sure that won't be too far away. They, they did keep us waiting for Dub Week with their signings, so maybe the next signing will be venue.
2: <laughs> Would you ben, prefer... Venue holding a shirt.
1: <laughs> Announce venue. <laughs> Do you
3: have a preference, Anna? Would you prefer ABD or Forkna? Because... Uh,
1: so as long For as me. it's not at that old CFG uh the the training ground where the poles are in the way of the media center then I'm pretty happy. What was your preference Angela?
3: Faulkner is so much more accessible but the food at ABD is so much better. Oh. And also you don't you're not looking into the sun. So I'm not sure I probably ABD. If I ABD if I add,
1: they're right up there.
3: So good. They were like, I I would look forward to them last season. Yeah, now I'm thinking about kebabs.
2: I mean, that's a good – this is a good conversation to have, right? Because, like –
1: Grab at the dub. Oh, my God,
2: (laughs) yes! I was actually (laughs) – Amazing. When we talk about why attendances in Australian football have flatlined – so much of the conversation seems to focus on the thing that's happening on the pitch. But when I go to football, I don't just go to watch the games. I go to hang out with friends. I go for food. I go for bevs. I go to be in the world. You know, it's a whole experience. And food and drink plays a really big part in that, right? So, like, I don't want to go and sit and eat soggy, disgusting, salty chips. If I, if there was a stadium nearby me which which sold, like, local you know, locally brewed beer and um, sort of, you know, produce and stuff that was you know, from New South Wales and like made into burgers or hot dogs or whatever, that would add to my experience. I would want to go there. I would want to go and participate in all that and, and contribute and give, give them my money, you know. But so many of these kinds of decisions just aren't made. They don't think about the sort of holistic experience of football. They just think about what's happening on the field.
1: I have one big request, um, send it out to Foxtel and KO, to broadcast from the opposite side to the stand. Just so often, like at ABD, for example, everyone sits in the stand. If you can set up so you can broadcast from the hill and you can actually see the crowd, I think they actually do it at that stadium, but there's nothing worse than the, the camera being in the crowd side and it looks like there's no one at the dub. Because I think that doesn't help in terms of getting people to the game. It do- I think it doesn't help in terms of the perception. I think it's great if you can have the view of the actual crowd behind the players. Um, I think that makes you want to go. And, yeah, in terms of the food, we'll have to do it uh, a review throughout the season of which offers the best grub at the dub. But <laughs> I was actually <laughs> pitching this
3: to be on 90 Folks actually about doing like... Articles on the best eats around Dub venues, but sorry, that just reminded me Anna of like when we were at ABD and then Melbourne, like the Melbourne City logo was over my face when they panned to the crowd.
2: <laughs> I hated that.
1: I hated that so much.
2: Big Mike Wazowski areas.
1: Yes, <laughs> or the Mo calendar in the Simpsons. <laughs> just a sticker every time.
0: Absolute classics. Um, but I suppose speaking of, you know, we mentioned that, you know, there's still shit kickoff times even though we've been playing in the height of summer for 13 years now. Um, the the dub seems to have, I suppose, we'll call them like perennial grievances where it's just things that we've spoken about so often and yet it never actually happens so we got a question from friend of the pod tom which i would argue it's another uh, perenni- uh, perennial question or thought he asks expansion versus home and away season which do you want first and why so i will open up to the floor show yourselves who has a thought on this harry right, go for it
1: i'm always full home and away season first i think the more games the better um Sam and I were lucky enough to be on a briefing with Mel Andrietta today, and she basically said the same thing: these players need more games; they need them now. The W League is only twelve games long, and it's thirteen if you make finals, fourteen if you make the grand final. Um, I think Teresa Polias said this to both Sam and I in separate interviews as well. MPL season's longer, and the MPL season isn't necessarily that long. There's just not enough game time. I I love the idea of expansion, more teams, you know. More clubs, sorry, having a team and more players getting an opportunity. But to be honest, we saw when Melbourne City came into the league that there was that dilution of talent and the players were still not really getting the extra games, you know. So I would much rather see full home and away play. This is me just throwing it out there into the ether without making any consideration of resources. Um, Full home and away, um, I would even extend the final series by a game if I could. Um, But I just think that's the most important thing. More games for all the players um, rather than more players and the same amount of games. I think you just sort of magnify the problem if you've got more players who aren't getting so many games, whereas if you have the same pool of players but there's more games, one more players will get an opportunity because you need to rotate more, but also your players generally are going to get more game time. I think that's the most important thing. If we want to compete, and James Dallas talked about the, wanting the W League to be a top five league. Can't be a top five league if you're playing 12 to 14 games a season. So, easy one for me: expansion to home and expansion to home and away season, not expansion to more clubs.
2: I mean, why does it need to be either or? Mm. Why can't really? we have both at the same time? I, you know, that's a question I, for Tom. That's a question for Tom. Come on, Tom! Tom, you need to answer this. Like I, from, from everything that I understand, because we didn't have uh, expansion this season, there is a, a much greater likelihood now that we're actually going to see two expansion clubs come in in the same year, probably next season. And next season is also probably going to see the introduction of home and away. So I don't know, especially now, again, considering the wider context of what we're talking about, right? The W League has just become independent. It's just become independently operated and owned and controlled by the clubs. So the clubs now have the freedom to make these kinds of decisions. They also have the capital to be able to make these kinds of decisions. So before when FFA was uh, limited by its own revenue um, and its own sort of responsibilities to different parts of the game to distribute that revenue, the clubs are only thinking about the leagues now so that they can do basically whatever they want. They're, they Like some of these clubs have a lot of money and they are going to be able to afford to tack on a couple of extra rounds. I mean, a full home in a way, it's really what, how many extra rounds? Like two, three, four? I don't know. It's not that many. But on top of that, bring, you need to also bring in new expansion clubs because bringing in new expansion clubs means bringing in more revenue. You're bringing in more owners. You're bringing in more fans. You're bringing in more you know, X, Y, and Z. So... I don't know. I don't see why we can't do both. And, in fact, I think that we should do both.
1: I think Sam cheated on the question. I think Tom wanted one or the other. <laughs> no, um, too but bad. I her, uh, but I think Sam's answer is, is the right one. We've got to expand the league. If I could pick one than the other, I'd pick expanding the length and then adding more teams. But I think Sam's absolutely right. you always got to be looking to progress, get better, lift the standards. And as we've seen with Melbourne City, if you bring in a team that's willing to – you know, look after players, um, pay players well, invest in them. Then that forces everyone to lift their game. So, no, just the more the merrier. But for me, yeah, starting off with the more rounds.
0: If I may whinge briefly, because oh. I don't do it a lot on the pod. <laughs> um, regardless of what we do, we need to break out of this weird bubble. That like the W league and a lot of women's sports in this country kind of exist in where there's this idea that it needs to fit into this tiny box mm. and that's it. So you see it with AFLW where they've expanded a lot, but they've still got this teeny tiny season and, you know, same with NRLW, you've only got the four teams and it's this tiny thing that's condensed into finals weekend and whatever. And it's just, we need to stop condensing women's sport and, I think with the W League, it's something that, as you guys said, you know, Teresa Palae mentioned it to you, Mel Andrietta's mentioned it to you. I think if you've ever interviewed anyone related to the W League and you've asked them how can the league improve, their first thing is we need to grow, we need to get bigger, we need more games, we need more, more, more. So the fact that it hasn't happened yet is just so frustrating. And I know like this season, obviously we've got the Rony, that's a consideration that everyone's aware of and we're all on board or at least aware and kind of begrudgingly accepting that no, things couldn't happen this season. But the fact of the matter is it should have happened three, four seasons ago and it's just really frustrating that it hasn't. So um, I just, I, we need this like brevity bubble to burst because it's not serving us anymore. It hasn't been for a while and it's just, it's getting a bit ridiculous.
1: Miss, I'd actually like to bounce off this and just in a moment ask you about, you, you actually tweeted about this, your thoughts on talk of a women's FFA Cup. The thing that frustrated me was when I saw talk of, you know, in this next 15 years and we'll have a women's FFA Cup and a youth FFA Cup. The thing that frustrates me so much is it's so often that the women gets grouped with youth and you know when they say youth, it's men's youth it's youth men like i think that was something that really frustrated me today when i was covering the changes to the ffa cup yeah yeah you know women's ffa cup is something but it's always paired with youth um Mm. and the fact that you know that it is youth men it's not talking about bringing a women's this and you know uh boys and girls or you know youth men youth women this i find i found that really frustrating um but yeah i'd be interested in your thoughts marissa on whether a women's FFA Cup would work in terms of also adding additional games. Uh,
0: that's I, I joked that I was basically just uh, shooting from the hip on Aussie Woso and that nature was healing because I had um, tweeted some silly little thoughts. But that's the thing. I, I love it as a concept and I'm pretty sure I've tweeted about it previously because at the end of the day, it is more games, it's more football. It is, as an idea, a good thing. But you can't compare particularly now the current structure of like the men's FFA Cup and like replicate that into a women's competition because the men's game, even though it's not a um a, a pyramid with movement in between it, it is a pyramid. There are levels to it and it's an up-down kind of thing without the up-down. I'm not I'm not starting pro rail conversations on um this podcast. But when it comes to the um the women's side of the game, I look at it more as like a Venn diagram. So you've got your W league circle and your state league circle. And the overlap is very, very big in terms of the player pool. And that you can't like, what are you going to do? You are can have a competition where either the players are either picking their W league teams, which realistically, that's what would happen considering they're the top tier teams. And then there's a kind of Hole to fill in the state league teams, or they all go to the state league teams, and we've got a couple of internationals running around in W league teams. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. So I think conceptually, women's FFA Cup, great idea for so many reasons. Also, just because the FFA Cup is a hell of a lot of a hell of a lot of fun. But in order for it to happen, we need to completely overhaul the way women's football and like the pathways and structures. That are in place, and that's not something that's not something that's been forthcoming so far, and it's not something that just kind of happens overnight either. So, I I hope and I think that there are at least discussions in place about how we are improving the women's structure and those pathways and the relationship, particularly between the W League and the state leagues, but that's not happening for a while and. As always, there's an element of um, is it going to happen or are people going to have to kind of bang the drum forever and keep reminding that uh, women exist because actually, no, I've got a great quote (laughs) that relates to this. It's if we don't actively and intentionally include women, the system will exclude them and I think that applies here very much. So If we don't remind people that women's football is a thing that actually needs attention and won't just kind of, You know, it's not a succulent where you don't water it and it still survives. It needs attention. So um, I'm interested if you guys have thoughts to bounce off.
2: Can I put my tinfoil hat on?
1: Oh, yes, here we go. go. (laughs) This is what the people wanted.
2: So in order for an FFA Women's Cup to work, it needs to be aligned with the W League um, in terms of the seasons effectively, and in terms of the players, right? Marissa, you summarised it really well there. There can't be a situation where players are having to choose between a W League team and an MPL team, and it can't work. So that suggests then that the entire pyramid, or at least the top two tiers of the pyramid in Australia in the women's game, need to be aligned seriously, like not just in a sort of an overlapping thing, but actually seriously aligned. and that suggests to me then that if that alignment takes place, the W League will have to be longer, yeah. not just a full home and away season, but a longer season. Um, and that there is, as a result of that, going to have to be some sort of push towards a fully professional kind of a setup. So my tinfoil hat theory is that Football Australia have proposed a women's FFA Cup. To nudge the clubs towards this kind of setup, towards this kind of calendar, which will be a winter calendar. We know that that's part of James Johnson's plans to have a national football calendar, which includes aligning all of the seasons in both men's and women's football, and ensuring that the clubs actually get on with the process of moving towards this top five aspiration uh, that FA are wanting to pursue.
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on, Sam. I don't think that's just a tinfoil hat thing. And I think that also ties into when you look at the the conflict of players now who would be playing either for, say, Calder or Melbourne Victory if those two teams played off. Um, If you've got that proper alignment in terms of the W League and the NPLW, it also would go a long way, I think, in terms of helping the eternal question of what do you do with players who can't get a game? Which um, I know, for example, right? A at City was very vocal about needing whether it's a women's youth league or some sort of way for you know their fringe players or the young players to get extra game time. If you have that clear top level with a longer season, you can then have players coming up through the ranks at um at that sort of state league level, and you could have things like players effectively getting loaned or whatever in terms of you know, being able to bolster their game time. I agree entirely with what both of you said. It's just not a sustainable prospect at the moment where the two teams are so reliant on each other and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, I think there's other things like the length of the home and away season and when that happens uh, are going to have to be settled first before an FFA Cup becomes a realistic prospect because, yeah, otherwise you just, I don't think actually doing it justice at all. And if you're going to do something like this, I think you've got to do it well.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I want to say one final thing. I think every time we talk about, oh, W League needs to be top five or it's a development league or whatever, blah, 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 regardless of what it is, it needs to be a thing where women footballers in Australia can play football professionally here. And whether that then leads to a move overseas, whether that encourages other players to come here, What we're offering our own players right now isn't enough and we need to focus on that. Yeah, all right. So sticking with dub theme, we have to announce the new crop of signings. There were a lot um, because, you know, we're getting closer. City had their or still has their dub week so there were a lot. We had some new ones at Western Sydney. Nicola Orgel was announced. Annalie Longo officially was announced by Victory. Perth had a whole host, which is really good to see that they're starting to build their squad. We had a question from Lisa about uh, the Jets. Uh, I I can't tell you anything. Um, I'm worried for you, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. And then yeah, as I said, City had a whole bunch of signings as well. I know you all had some thoughts on particular players, so I'd love for you to expand on on your favourite signings of the past week. So, Angela, do you want to tee us off?
3: Yeah, one of the, um, in my opinion, one of the biggest signings this week uh, for City was the announcement of Samantha Johnson. Um, so she is a US defender, but what is interesting about this is she actually retired in 2019. So she was playing for the Utah Royals, um, in the NWSL and yeah, she retired. She's quite young, um, but she's come back and more recently in the W league. So she started playing for Sydney, but then she played the, um, I believe it's the 2016, 17 season with victory went away for a year and then came back again and she was a really important part of the year that Victory got the premiership. Um, she's a really, really solid centre-back, um, puts everything on the line, great leadership qualities, um, great in front of goal as, as well, like we'll on the line saves, she can do them. So yeah, I think this will be she'll be really pivotal in City's next moves forward and how they approach this season. And it's also really exciting to see her back at football, um, back in football, sorry. I was talking about this um, with Sam earlier, sort of some parallels there with Michelle Heyman, seeing a player sort of take a step back because they're not really enjoying playing the game anymore. And hopefully similar situation again that she's returning because she's found that love for it and that spark. Um, But yeah, Pretty exciting and looking forward to seeing her in action.
1: Harrow, who are you keen to see? Uh, Tegan Micah I'm really keen to see in action. She signed for Melbourne Victory last year. Unfortunately uh, for her, Casey Dumont was in all-time form in the W league, so she just did not get a look in. Um, but she went over to Norway and was doing really well until so she got injured. And Lydia Williams now at Arsenal, the time is right for her to, I think, Sorry, the time's right for City to get another quality keeper in there. Melissa Barbieri's obviously been there for a while now and can provide plenty of leadership and mentorship in that sense. Um, but for Micah, she needs to be playing as the number one keeper, which she started doing in Norway. She gets the full W League seasoning, great facilities um, at City to have a real crack at it. And I think she's a really good pickup for City. I think she's an exciting player. Um, I'm sure Victory would have loved to have actually got her back again this time as number one keeper, but um, I think she'll slot right in at City and uh, they're probably not going to be – well, they won't be as good a team as they were last year, so she might be a bit busier. But, um, yeah, great opportunity for a young keeper to get some more game time, especially after that injury blow while doing so well in Norway.
0: And, Sam, who are you looking forward to seeing?
2: Yeah, sticking with Melbourne City, I'm really excited to watch Tori Tirmeth. So nobody who listens to any of this outside of New South Wales MPL chat will know much about Tori Tumath. People who subscribe to Beyond 90 uh, and have read their match reports will absolutely know who, uh, who Tori Tumath is. So Tori Tumath is a, a young centre-back uh, who play has played for Sydney University uh, for the last couple of seasons. She's uh, only 19 years old, I believe. Uh, she has a background in futsal and she is absolutely raved about in New South Wales circles. Um, She's tall, she's athletic, she's fantastic on the ball, she's got really good vision, she's got long-range passing, she's got all the sort of things that we've talked about when it comes to Alana Kennedy. Uh, She has been the captain of the Junior Matildas at youth level. She's appeared for the Young Matildas as well. So she's really developing into quite a special player. Um, And she's, yeah, as I said, she's absolutely adored by uh, people here in New South Wales. So I'm really excited that she's finally being given her first opportunity at W League level. I think it's going to come as quite a shock to her because she has uh, has been pretty dominant here for the last few years. But ultimately she seems like the kind of player who I think is going to embrace that. She's going to recognise her own limits and she's probably going to enjoy the challenge of overcoming them. Um, but also uh, in addition to Tori, another small shout-out to a re-signing that Perth have made Hannah Lowry. Um, again, in the context of future Matildas, she is someone that is is really highly rated um, by Football Australia, particularly by Ray Dower, who has coached her at junior Matildas level. Um, she scored her debut goal for Perth in her debut season last year. Um, everyone probably remembers that that absolutely cracking header front post um, in that what turned out to be a, an insane game against Newcastle. It was like there were it was like what four two. There was the goal scored by Tessa Tamplin, the the shanked like cross shot that went into the net, and there was that amazing video of her like just looking into the air and walking away, like she was walking away from explosion. It was just it was wild. So yeah, I'm really I'm really keen to see Hannah Lowry get more minutes. She didn't really get that much game time last season, but now that she's part of the, been part of the setup for a, a little bit longer, and now that she's going to be coming through under a coach who really embraces youth in Alexa Parkis, I think she's going to be playing a really big role. So yeah, those are the two players that I'm really keen to see.
0: All right, let's let's get back into some regular scheduled programming. Let's do some boots,
3: Angela. Please, would you like to give something a boot? I would. I very much would. Okay, so um, this goes back to, I guess, dub draw chat, all of that good stuff. Um, I was very excited to see that Victory had a ecal set up for their A League and their W League teams for once the fixture had been released. And I am the E-Cal queen. I love a good E-Cal. So I clicked on that straight away and was very disappointed to see that they just had their A-League games listed as the title of the games, who was playing, um, on the calendar appointments. And then for the W-League, they had WWL colon name of the game. So it was sort of just like positioning the men's games as like neutral, And then, like, marking out the women's, like, games, which I didn't really – I know it's such a small thing, but it costs no money to, like, put HAL, Hyundai, A-League for the men's fixtures on that e-calendar and, like, marking out both instead of, again, separating – the women's side of things into its own bubble and point like that's the women's you know what I mean like we should be doing it for both it's just irritating I don't know it's a very minor thing but still irks me and like I just mentioned it costs no money to just change it and to have that shift and to embody that your men's and your women's teams are on the same level so yeah I'm giving that the boot
0: ah! Sam did you want to do the the other boot
2: the saga continues with fucking Corinne mm. versus Amadine Henri, And it's just like, when is this going to end? Clearly the environment and the culture in the French women's national team is completely fucked. And French football, maybe my boot goes to the French Football Federation for not doing anything about this yet. This has been going on for over a year right? There were reports recently about how toxic the environment was for the French team at the Women's World Cup last year. These are the kinds of things, like they have received complaints, players have told them that this, these are the kinds of things that were happening. Corinne Diacra is, according to a, a lot of these reports from players, players who have come out publicly, players who have even retired from the national team as a result of these kinds of complaints, like Corinne Diacra is the problem. But French, France football just doesn't, it's just refusing to do anything about it. It's like, what, what, are you, like this is France, like this French team is their golden generation. The fact that they didn't win the women's world cup last year was actually really disappointing because that was the team that could have done it. And if it, it turns out that one of the large reasons that they couldn't do it is because Karim Diaco was there being an absolute fucking asshole to all of them and making it a miserable place to be as a player. That's going to be on her forever. And it's going to be on French football forever as well because this is something that they're not going to have the opportunity to do again for a really long time. The next time that they have an opportunity like this, it's going to be an entirely new generation of players because this one is going to be too old by 2023. So it's just like, yeah, fuck France football. Like, I love you, the country. I love you hosted a really great Women's World Cup. I'm very appreciative of that. But you got to deal with this sort of stuff.
3: Oh, when you said "fucking frustrating," I was like, "FFF, fucking frustrating." <laughs> <super>. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Anyway, in the um, doctored words of Marta via our friend Dale, we have to boot in the beginning so you can how good in the end. So let's do some how goods. Anna, would you like to how good?
1: Yeah, I would. Um, My how good was seeing um, photos from Brisbane Raw training uh, that Larissa Crummer is training with the Raw and I I assume is going to play for them this season, which is fantastic. She's had such a rough run. She had that horrific broken leg, which um, just needed so many surgeries and additional surgeries. And I'm sure there were times where she must have thought about packing it all in or questioning her future in football. Um, For a player who was at a World Cup so young and then won a golden boot with Melbourne City and looked to have the world at her feet. She just sort of uh, fell away in terms of form. We know she went to centre-back and stuff. But in terms of just having that that injury, which is horrific and could realistically be a career ender, it's just so good to see such a talented young player back playing. She's back home in Queensland and it looks like she's enjoying herself again. So, yeah, Larissa Crummer, potential W League return? How good?
0: A massive how good. Angela, How good?
1: my how good
3: again draw related but um Adelaide United's video that they released um I know that all four of us have seen it but we'll definitely link it on Twitter for those who have not been blessed with this <laughs> excellent video um they did a similar one for the men's side but then the women's one also just has these like random plastic arms in it <laughs> that don't make any sense they also just like roast so many other W E teams. <laughs> it's just really good fun. And I think I love seeing that sort of content coming directly from clubs. Um Like also seeing like Melbourne City lean into Dub Week, which like the Dub, I don't know who came up with that. I think Tom, friend of the pod, will oh, probably. Oh, it was claim. me. There we go. Anna <laughs> came up with that.
1: I'm not leaving take credit for something I came up with.
3: <laughs> okay, so I will say for my own self-preservation that Anna came up with Dub and now we're seeing that, like, taken on board by the club. So, yes, just love um, silliness. I think it really helps engage fans and, um, yeah, gets more people on board and, I mean, it's it's the meme league, isn't it? So you just got to do it. But, yeah, how good? How good,
2: Sam? How good? Um, My How Good This Week um, links back to something that we should have mentioned in the last episode actually and that was the creation or the announcement um, from Football Australia that they're going to be creating a national Indigenous manager role um, at the governing body in order to oversee the growth of Indigenous football. I think that's a fantastic idea. It's long overdue. There are so many wonderful candidates as well um, and that sort of ties into what... FA have been doing this week, they sent a bunch of people up to the Northern Territory to visit a whole bunch of different communities up there in uh, collaboration with the John Moriarty Football Foundation, tapping into local talent, delivering coaching clinics, um, lots, of, lots of sort of really important on-the-ground grassroots kinds of things that I think have been missing um, from that level of the game for a little while. Um, and, you know, the Northern Territory is a completely untapped market when it comes to A-League and the W-League. So, you know, this could be the start of perhaps another expansion idea. You know, we could see a, an entire new state come to the, the football table um, in terms of national competitions. So, yeah, the FA doing really good stuff up there, um, moving into the Indigenous space, I think is really clever and it's really overdue. So, how good?
1: to bounce off that how good Sam I think it's great also that they're really making a point of publicizing it like I know Don's got some great photos they're doing videos um I know from having worked in clubland in the past like community teams do so much brilliant work um with these sorts of things and if you are going to do this sort of work it's important that you let people know about it it shows that you care it shows you think it's important um it puts the emphasis on it that it deserves rather than maybe a a few lines in a media release it shows that you're engaged you're putting the resources in you're putting the work in and that was the other thing I really like to see beyond the actual work that's being done that you've just talked about Sam the fact that um, FFA making point of you know putting the stuff on social media and sending it out in releases and putting people up to media I think that's fantastic so yeah definitely a how good
0: massive how good and a final how good from me Uh, during last week we had uh ffa and rebel sport announced that the national team away kit is now available in women's sizes big cheers big applause yelling really does work and i need to give a shout out to my sister who will be getting one of them for christmas and she's very excited about it because it's her first national team jersey so there you go nat you're on the pod (laughs) um (laughs) you know the mistake was rectified and we've got to acknowledge that because it is very good stuff that we can all now wear the beautiful jerseys so that's us done for another week thanks so much for tuning in you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you can chat to us on social medias at the far post pod and yeah until then uh Next week, we'll uh, see you then. So, bye-yes.